The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Things We All Carry. Today's episode is part two of Adam. This episode is more of a question and answer style dialogue between Adam and myself, with Jess joining in during a couple of spots. I wanted this episode to be a conversation in which we get a little deeper into the subjects Adam discussed in part one. I want to take the time to thank Adam for sharing and being open to a second interview. I appreciated and enjoyed the time he gave so willingly. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder, you know, love or care about y'all enjoy the show. So, uh, yeah, I'll make some bullshit up or something. I don't know. I got the picture of us sleeping on the mattress at the mattress store, so that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be your episode of art. So you, me, and, and Riley, we yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was more comfortable than mattresses at work. So uh, yeah, there. yeah, that and the plywood underneath the mattresses at work is definitely more comfortable. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, we just developed a bunch of questions. Okay. Because I think. And you and I talked about it. I think that the episode or the interview that we did is going to work well as an episode. And I'm just going to let that play for like the first one. And then this one will be the follow-up. Like the next day I'll release it. Okay. So if that makes sense and you're good with that, that's what we'll do. Yeah. I was very ill-prepared for that one. So I feel, I apologize to the people for getting a, it's not getting my best product out there, but it's honesty and that goes a long way. I think that's why I liked it. Cause the way it was, the way you told the story, I think it had their trajectory to it. That just made sense. And I was comfortably sitting on a drywall bucket in the basement. At least you had the right setting. I, it was perfect. Just a sad, lonely, dark basement on a five gallon bucket. <laughs> there you go. Very profound. <laughs> you could have seen that at a better light. <laughs> there you go. That's just, it doesn't have a day like that. All right. One of the first things we came up with is that you, during the, during that interview, during that time we were talking, you spoke about being, fe- feeling you were better than others, but you also say you don't live up to your potential. Do you remember that? Yeah. Good luck rattling my brain to get me to All remember right. things. That's the problem. Yeah. No, that's fine. So, cause you talked about like things like you knew you were the best at what you were doing, but you didn't want it to challenge yourself for fear of some kind of failure. Hundred percent. That's the so. And really, where I was going with that is, I, whether it was ever intentional, some of it yes, some of it not in life. You do what you're good at, and for as let's see, I don't want to say conceive, but for as positive as you be, or for as for as much as you feel pretty good about yourself or confident. Sorry, that's what I was looking for. As much as you think you're a confident person, it's interesting how for me I can now look back and it's hindsight. Some of that I knew as while I was doing it that, wow, I'll do things that. I can succeed at quickly. Like I did it, tried it and I'm like, oh, good at that. And I'll roll with that. And now I'm attracted to that. Or over time it's, man, I know I'll be good at that. Or there's not a lot of risk there to fail, so on and so forth. And those are some of the things then you just, you flock to, you're attracted to. Because failure is not an option or what a hit to the ego. 
if something doesn't A, go as planned or B, what are people going to think? So for me, a lot of times as I really get to work is I'm not going to take a lieutenant's process. I'm terrible at testing. I consider myself a good fireman and know that. And I, at one point, I think I had more boss, more fires from the front seat than maybe even in the back, actually a, a span there. I know I can do the job. What if I don't pass, I don't score well. I like, don't even don't pass, don't score. It, what do people think? That's a hit to the ego. And I can't handle my ego. Can't take that. And I'm too afraid of how that's going to look to everybody. That's just one example, but that's something interesting in life that I look now back in hindsight and say, man, a risk apparently was a four letter word for me. Not in the sense of if you go in there, you may die. But if I choose to do something that I don't know hundred percent that I will succeed at or be really good at, I don't know if I can take that. So let's just avoid it and stick to the things and stick to what you're good at. And that's where I was going with that, how it means to me and how it relates to my life. I think you mentioned the word ego in there. And that was the second thing we had written down was like, when did you feel that ego developed and, or was it always there? No clue. I can tell you when it was busted. Yeah, we got that pretty clear yeah, on that. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. She broke. I, I can tell you that. I don't know when I can, I guess it was always there. I really do. I think it was like anything. If you're surrounded by folks that are going to tell you, Hey, you're really good at something. Not because they're just being nice, but because maybe you are really good at something. Maybe when that happens early on before you, you just, you create some sort of an ego. I think it can change over years and it can mean different things. And it can be a, if it's, I don't say used, but if you recognize it, it's not always such a terrible thing, but, but there's a difference between being confident and there's a difference between being an ego. There's a difference between pride and ego. There really is. And an ego can get you in trouble and ego can slow you down. Ego can hang you up. Ego can hold you back and it can create a lot of issues. And I don't know why it was there. I'm just going to assume it was there from day one because I can't think of a time where I said, I was always this way. And then when I hit 16, I really started, I got underarm hair and I really started to come into my own and felt like a man. And then from there on out, I knew I was top dog. I had no clue. Did you ever learn to harness it? Either in the job or outside the mm -hmm. job? You probably have to ask other people. I guess for me, if you, you would know, there's right. Do you have humility? Do I even know what humility was? I'm learning what humility is now. I don't know if I, I had a level of humility, not the way I have it now. When I walk around, am I going to brag? Am I going to pop my collar and be, be that guy? No. But did I know I was good at certain things? Yes. And so maybe I harnessed it from the sense of, I was still realistic about things. I didn't keep me from asking questions or learning from a guy that's been on the job for three weeks or somebody that's been there 30 years. I guess I always understood as it relates specifically to work, there's always value in whoever's around you. So it was, I don't believe it was ever gotten in the way of me learning something or making bad decisions because my ego got in the way because I had to be this way and the only way. Maybe that's, that was part of me being good at my job was I knew not to do that. Whether you want to call crew resource management or just having common sense, the guy that just because he's only been here three weeks, but the guy used to build rockets. If I'm on a call and involves a rocket, he's my guy. Because that happens a lot. Hey, but going back yeah. to the Skittles and the unicorn, man, if you're going to be on a call that involves a rocket, I want to be there. How fun would that be? I guess crotch rockets were on those calls. But no, at any point. So I mean, I'm sure other people could have different opinions on that. My personal life, I guess I harnessed it well enough that it, I didn't walk around and just tell you that what I had doesn't stink. But I do know that it drove me a lot that I could sit back. And I guess I did it quietly. I was concerned with how things would look. I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to throw a party, it's bigger than the next guys. I want to make sure that if I buy something, man, it's good quality. Like I bought, cause I'm an all in guy, those type of things. So I was always proud and maybe in that sense, proud of the stuff or I would quietly, ego can lead to judge. There's where I didn't harness it. Cause I judged a living hell out of people. 
I felt bad for everyone. Poor you. So yeah, in some aspects, harnessed. In other aspects, quietly, no. Along with the ego, you talked about the brain wiring. And I think that was a fascinating thing to, to discuss. You said that you were wired perfectly for the job, but nothing, but not wired well for anything outside of it. So one size, yeah, one size fits all kind of thing with the way you reacted to calls, the way you reacted to pressure, the chaos basically. And I, and I think there's a lot of people that are wired the same way. And I've, and you're always attracted to maybe folks. So I've worked with those folks over the years that you know, are, we may not always go about it the same way in our modalities, but like our brain is wired to where it just makes sense. You process the stuff, you move on, it's the job, so on and so forth. So. To try to put that in perspective of how maybe it doesn't work. And I'm going to say how it doesn't work in recovery like that. We're, and I just had this conversation today. I was on a meeting at noon today with a bunch of firemen from across the country. So we're all, and we're all wired this way. We're in instant gratification. We're wired to, I go, this happens on a call. 10 minutes later, we're back. 15 minutes later, we're back. A, B, and C, all this stuff happens. Process it and it's boom. My brain was ahead a lot. It was annoying at times because sometimes it doesn't need to be 60 steps ahead. Maybe it's confusing for other folks that don't move that quick and make decisions. They're a little more analytical about it. For me, it was a lot of gut instinct. And then over time, just experience that my brain could process the next five steps. Okay. That's all well and good and does well on the job. And I'm not the only person like that. It's not an anomaly, but let's, let's show that it doesn't really work all the time or isn't the best tool to have in the toolbox. Let's talk about recovery as it is. And again, I've, last time we spoke, for me, I'll really lump a lot of things in recovery, whether it's depression, trauma, PTS, drug, alcohol, whatever you want to say, all that stuff really falls into, we've got to recover from that kind of thing. So we're instant gratification people. I'm three steps ahead. When I decide I'm going to do something, it's getting done. And how frustrating it is in your recovery where, man, want to feel better. Now I saw a therapist today. I want to be better. I saw, I'm going to see him three more times. I should feel better. I want to stop drinking. I try to sit down in this program. I've made up my mind. I don't want to drink. Why hasn't it happened yet? Why am I not feeling better? Why am I not better? Why do I still not sleep at night? And I have these dreams for PTS. I've, I took two therapies classes. That's just unrealistic. And that was one of my things I wrote down today was like going into that recovery takes time. We've, we, we are instant gratification people. You don't call me back in 10 minutes. I'm pissed because we're used to working in these 20 half minute, half hour increments, maybe five minutes. And, and then we try to treat our recovery like that the same. And that's, and it doesn't work and it can frustrate you. So I told a guy earlier today, I said, I put in over 20 something years, maybe a lifetime of getting things as screwed up as they are. I didn't just wake up and run a marathon. I didn't just wake up and start drinking the way I did. It took time. I didn't have this kind of trauma. It took time. It took me 20, 30, 40 years to build up to it. So to think that I'm going to unwind it in 10 minutes, because I know what's got to happen now. I decided to work on it. I'm working on it. I took this, I read a book or whatever, you know, it can really be frustrating to where you may not want to continue with it because man, I'm doing all the right things. I should feel better. I should be done. I should not want to drink today. I should not have a bad day. It takes time. It, it absolutely takes time and it, and you can't rush it. It took you a long time to get to this point. It's going to take some time to unwind it. So again, one of those things I had to learn, sure. I'm wired up good for one thing that doesn't necessarily work. I have to learn to rewire the brain a little bit to be able to work and do things and whether it's personal life, 
different professional life, whatever it may be. Not everything has to work at the speed of the fire department. You mentioned the, the acronym in there, PTS. What do you think? When do you think that developed for you? Was it a specific thing or was it just an onslaught of calls or what was it for you? I'm going to have to see that Sean brought it up real good. His podcast of like, it's, I think it always builds. You may not even know it. You may not even think it. And for some folks, they can finally look at that one straw that, that does break the camel's back or whatever you want to call it. I still don't know for me. I've never really, I've sat and talked to somebody about it. We never really came to the conclusion that you've got the atypical PTS. And I guess that's okay. There doesn't have to be. I can have parts of it. I guess for me, I don't have those things that I relive or constantly see and go through as some other folks speak of. So I guess I don't maybe fit kind of that bill of it. I just had enough other stuff in life that, that needed to get worked on. No, but I think that you say you don't fit that bill of it or you don't have, or you have atypical PTS. And, but I, I think that's part of what I want people to know. And I think Sean and I talked about it as well is that it's not going to be this major call. It's most likely it's going to be the accumulation of shit that you face. And it's an accumulation in and out of work. Work just adds to it. And then your personal life and going on your day to day adds to it. And I think that can be true for, right. For some of the elements, remember a lot of times you hear people talk about, I go to work to get away from home or man, I can't wait to get out of work and go home. The problem is when both aren't contributing to something positive. So now where do I go? I think that's when it really starts to build. I think folks that have something in place that's a very healthy and whether it's family and family is good and you have a great relationship at home, whether it's you're part of a church group, whatever it may be you have. So you're right. I can get away from it from work and I'm really good about just turning it off. It does stay there. I go home and I have a really good outlet and a good life to where these things aren't building for me. And maybe vice versa for me for a while there, I went to work to get away from some home stuff. And I, I don't know if it's a healthy place. I'm not sure work's really the best place to get away from anything. But my point to that is, is you're right. This line of work, it's really hard to get away from stuff because what's unique about it is it's not the nine to five because that doesn't add up to 56 hours a week. Hey, oh, yeah. it's the, you work in certain environments. There's just like one element of the job. There's always office politics. There's always this and that. But when you get into, we live together. We're here 24, we're here 56 hours a week. We're moving people around. Here's transfer time again. Here's, and, and there is politics. Then there's actual politics because your paycheck depends on it. Then there's all the other, then there's the calls. And there's a lot. We add up a lot. We, you create another family. So you want to talk about not being able to get away from anything. Man, so if, if things aren't good at home, now you go to your second home, which is almost more like your first home. You go to work, this line of work, dude, I, you want to talk about stuff, just building. Uh, I don't know when you're supposed to release it or get rid of any of it or do something about it. Well, certainly not on your own. And you're right. I think it accumulates. It can sneak up on you and man, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways in a lot of ways. And I'm not a therapist. I couldn't tell you the exact definition of post-traumatic stress. We hear things, we see things that we, we understand what it is. Can I tell you everything that fits into it? I don't know. I don't know if there is a way to, to, I don't think it's, I don't think it does it justice to try to fit it into a box. That's for sure. But if well, it's, you're definitely not going to fit us into a box. No, we'll find a way to break out of it. We learned there's six sides to the box. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 <laughs> so, you are correct. Yeah. The other thing we had written down, something about trouble inside and outside of work. I'm trying to remember exactly how we were, what we were thinking when we wrote it down. Uh, no, there's alcohol caused a lot of trouble for you outside of work. 
So was it alcohol related or is it something about cave or craving a chaos for you? Do you think you can delineate between the two or do you, or is that even possible? If you crave something that's probably not healthy for you, you crave chaos, no matter what it is. It's the honest. If it's, if, if you're going to crave an unhealthy habit, whether it's bad drug, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's stealing stuff, whether I'm sure you can name fighting, just go fight people, whatever it may be. If you're craving something that really has a negative effect, then you crave chaos. You may crave, I got to just be in the know. And I love to just get people wound up on social media. There's people that crave that. We know them, that they exist. Some people crave, it's not healthy. You crave the chaos of what happens when now you're in a, some sort of a Facebook battle, or if you just want to, I don't know. There's a lot of things I think you can say that about not just necessarily like a drug or alcohol addiction. So for me, yeah, I, there's a lot about it. I crave, I guess it changes too. It, certain parts of your life. And I can only speak to, to alcohol. Uh, that craving changes as your life changes. Maybe starting out in life, it was, it's what relaxed you enough to feel good about being around other people or going out or A, B or C. Or I'm going to, I can't get on the dance floor unless I'm hammered. And then maybe later in life, it's, I crave it for the social aspect of now I can, I can be part of the group after work and we're this. And then later now you're craving it because it's the only way you can sleep or get two hours of stuff out of your head and numb yourself. There's different elements to that. So I think for me, did I like chaos? Uh, probably. I think so. It always ended up pretty chaotic, but it was, I guess I craved fun. <laughs> so speaking of the chaos, you, you're, you're major downfall was the accident and getting arrested and that whole thing. But how many times before that do you think you would have, you, you kind of got out of it? Like how many times were you maybe escaped some trouble where you should have been in trouble at that moment? Oh man, many weeks in a year, times about 20 years, a couple of times a week. And I'm not, and honestly, it's not an exaggeration. It changed endless. It was never a matter of if it's a matter of when. So. Yeah, when I say almost a lifetime of it, it's sad to look back and say that, but it's true. Just so many times. I really, I, it, it, it truly is something I couldn't put a number on to just sit here and say, well, only two other times. It just changed over the years. Who do you mean changed? I guess what was going on changed or I get in trouble or get caught or this and that. As a kid, it's one thing. Oh, we, we, haha, we stole that from whatever. We're 21 years old or we. Now, as you get older, oh, I'm driving more, doing this, or maybe it's people that are getting drunk and that's when infidelity happens, or now you're showing up to work drunk or not. I can change over the years, right? Alcoholism and really most diseases are progressive. The outcomes of your actions are going to progress. And over time, those jackpots just get bigger and bigger, or the risk is bigger and bigger. The, the fallout's going to get bigger and bigger because you have more to lose. Think about it. 21, something happens. Okay. Minus you're dead or you kill somebody. You get in your forties now, maybe you've got careers, families, houses, blah, blah, blah. People you're responsible for. Plus you're still adding all the other crap on there. I could have killed someone, could have killed myself, could have, or whatever. It, the risk gets greater. There, there just seems to be more and more to lose every year. You progress through some sort of a disease like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny and a funny and ironic sense. You talk about like alcohol related, if you're craving that or you're chasing that, it's you're eating more and more, obviously, because you build a tolerance. And then I, I kind of wondered, do we build that tolerance to chaos as well? And we chase bigger and more chaotic events. Uh, 
and it's not it's just a, it's not just a matter of we have more to lose. It's we're seeking more to lose. There's probably some truth to that. I would think you're right. That opens up a whole some sort of super smart person philosophical <laughs> rabbit hole to go down. But you're right. I mean, you're trying to fulfill that need for whether it's adrenaline or what have you. And absolutely, I think that's a progression you see some people that have whether it's addiction issues, well, most certainly in addiction issues, chasing the next thing. You hear people chasing the next high, getting the next high. What do I got to do next? What do I mix? How do I, you're right. It's man, I, I got to change my brand. It just doesn't do it for me anymore. I'm going to try something different. A lot of people end up doing drugs after they've been drinking for so long. Cause they're like, wow, now I got to have an upper to get me through the lower. So you're right. You may seek something that's going to make you feel what you're chasing. Because you're right, you get a little more numb to it every year, whatever it is you're chasing. Yeah, you could say you grow a tolerance to it. That could be chaos or that high or whatever it may be. The other part of it too is things probably are not going as well. And every year they go a little less well for you possibly, right? I guess things, things can progress and not always in the right direction. And now you're trying to hide more, cover up more, be numb more. There's more that I had three things to get that bothered me last year and I'm up to six. You can't really put a number on things, but if that makes a point, I have more events because you never really got over stuff. You never really fixed anything. And I, you just added two more. It's, it's the dog chasing his tail, man. So you're right. You seek, I think you seek because you need more, you want more and life keeps going on and building. And now you have more that you're trying to run from. So yeah, maybe you look for chaos is that distracting injury. So now we've covered the light stuff. We'll talk about the heavier stuff because you touched on, and as a joke, but it is a little heavier, <laughs> but uh, you touched on it when we talked the other, well, a couple of weeks ago and you mentioned, briefly mentioned some anxiety, depression, and some, there was some suicidal ideation in there as well. So when did, how, and when did you start to notice that stuff? That's probably, so life events, things happen, whether you're going through divorces or relationships and moving just life events. So for me, just added up. I'm like, man, nothing's going the way Adam had planned right now. And, and then you just, I don't know. I just start waking up, noticing that these aren't good thoughts to have. And that was new. That's scary because that hasn't been my life. Some people that will talk about, I never, I, and I get it. never fit in or this and that. And that wasn't my story. This was stuff that was probably things just building in a couple of years coming to a head of just a lot of life event changes my personal life on top of everything else going on. And all of a sudden before you just, you feel that overwhelming. I know the time frame of it. It's just, it took almost 30 some odd years to get to that moment. And it's scary, right? Because it's nothing I had ever dealt with. Never, never gave it a thought, never had an issue with. So again, not everybody's story is the same, which is our points. A lot of this stuff is just because that hasn't been in my life since I was a teenager from some traumatic that happened as a kid, it's still important to note that it's there, recognize it, do something about it because it's, mine was late onset, right? <laughs> late onset depression and anxiety, Probably like it's diabetes or something. It was just, it's, it is later onset for me where all of a sudden it came out of nowhere, crept up on me and, 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 and stewed for a couple of years. It was a couple of years of going and before it was the choice to say it's time, man, this is scary. We got to do something about it. You say it was a couple of years before you made a choice. How'd you make the choice though? When did you make that choice? I think one is you, you start to recognize that it's, you've got 
other things around you, right? Things keep coming to the limelight of mental health and this and that, which is a good thing, right? You see this stuff's kind of being thrown at you, not individually, but just whether it was a department or I'd go to this IFS training seminar and are talking about center of excellence, free and, and all of our military guys. We, at that point, we got 16 years of guys coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan and, and talking about, so it, it was good, right? The stuff is in the light and you start to think, wow, I hit some of those check marks and knowing from the first sign of it or the first feeling of it, that this doesn't end well, it was always there of holy crap, like, what do I do? I should got to do something about this. This doesn't make sense. I've never gone through this in life. So I think there's a kind of a confusion of it. There's a, does this really quality? Do I meet the standards of, again, I always say before you talk about comparing out, I'm sitting there going, eh, I'm not as bad as everybody else. I've never gone through this. I've never gone through that. And then finally talking to the right person. Like I said, I'd met another firefighter and it was just this, that's a chance meeting of somebody. It, it happens for a reason. Sometimes he had this conversation and it just turned into a, and it almost was an instant tour. I knew that it was like, I got to do something. Like I don't want to go down this road. And then that conversation was like, man, I'll go to a therapist. If you go to a therapist and you don't lie to them, cause I'd gone in the years past, like for one or two sessions and you just bullshit your way through it all. I didn't really want to be there. I was going there for something because I needed to or had to because you got in trouble or you're trying to make good on a promise to somebody. And then that was really the decision of, okay, I'll go. I'm going to tell them everything and I'm going to be honest with them and, and get this figured out before it just doesn't end. So that was the firefighter out West you spoke about, All right? Because right. that's actually on my list to, to ask you about because we talked about it or you talked about it, but I didn't ask you any questions that day. And so I was just curious about how that connection yeah. was made. And cause you say something about you feeling like you had the same soul is what you said in the interview. Yeah. And it's just interesting how you can meet people in life. And sometimes a question like why did that person ever come in my life or how did I ever meet that person or because it's nobody that I'm in contact with. It was not a matter of at a convention and you, you just like anything out there, you just start talking with people and BSing and all that stuff. And you realize you're like, holy crap, dude, this is like, like looking in the mirror is scary. There's only one of me. And sometimes, man, you can just have that kind of a connection with somebody. And it's interesting because I'll parlay that in, in, into something here in a second, which is a really good term, parlay. Talk about another so, section. But, yeah, Let's do it. I know it. <laughs> how if you, if you do make that connection, maybe you just run with it for a little bit because there's nobody else going to stay in touch with. I'll meet up someday in the Midwest. It was just, it was bizarre to meet someone to have that conversation with. And for within a you know, typical, you, you text little after this and that and you lose touch but it was enough to put some wheels in motion to be like huh okay i'll go do and once i went and just opened up and was honest with the with somebody in therapy and again somebody had a bigger plan for me because that was the perfect therapist that i picked out of the blue it just worked out it it needed to happen and it happened and don't not to get spiritual or anything but that's something that happened that i didn't have any control over and can't help make you think sometimes that man there's some other plans for me because that all just worked and it was good timing and just happened that way. But you got to be open. You got to be willing and open for that to want to do that. If I just kept shutting it out, you're not going to have that conversation with somebody. You're not going to follow through with it. And then you're not going to go put some work and to try to get yourself better. And we have that choice. Either we want to get better or we don't. You've mentioned some anger towards fire department after resignation. Well, part fueled that anger. I think anytime something doesn't go as planned, there's going to be two parts is any, something doesn't go as planned is, and there's a few things really, there's going to starts with, it's almost like the grieving process, but it's first off, you're just mad because you're like, well, how can you do this to me? How do, 
you know, can't treat me like this and tell me I should consider leaving and all this other stuff. And so then you get resentment, dude, for all the shit I've done. I'm not your average Joe. So ego comes into play a little bit. Some of it's just disappointment. And where it really came to, so as you deflect those things, sorry, project those things on other people, bottom line is Adam made a choice. Adam did A plus B that equaled C. And I'm now trying to project some anger, some disappointment, some resentments. And in the bottom of it, in the bottom line of it all, I need to be looking in the mirror because this is an Adam issue. And you got to bust an ego to get to that point. You're disappointed in yourself. You're mad at yourself, right? There, man, I resent maybe the things I did and the choices I made that got me to this point. Nobody else did it. So you're right. It's it's an interesting thing to go through something like that. And very often it takes a lot of people around you and a willingness to be open, that kind of stuff, to start to learn those kind of things. I would have never gone down that road. I would have just stuck with the anger and kept projecting it. Because I've done that. We've all done that. I've done that in the past. It was hindsight. It was a couple months into recovery that you start to learn these things. And then you go back and you look at all that and I go, man, there's... I'm disappointed in Adam. I'm, I, I'm angry in Adam because that's who I need to be upset with and disappointed in because that's the guy that, that did what he did to get where he got nobody else. But there are in, there is, and I think it's warranted to a point. There is still that small sense of it's not anger. I think it's just because you miss it and you do miss parts of you, me, I, and I miss parts of fire service and they'll always kind of question me. I should have been treated differently. But, and what I told you before was, oh, I. Maybe things happened the way they needed to happen because it propelled me to make a change in life and to actually finally address something that I haven't addressed before and most certainly not seriously. So every day, every year or every day, it's, there's really not much animosity left or resentment or anger. It's, there's always going to be a little level of disappointment in myself. I'm my own worst critic. I'm terrible at forgiving myself for things. That's been the longest part of that process as it relates to work is forgiving myself a little bit, not being so hard on myself about that whole situation. When you miss it and you miss the guys and all that stuff and the gals, it's just, yeah, yeah, you look back and you're always going to have a little bit of, still got that little bit of disappointment or you're still rubbed yourself a little wrong there. Cause you're just like, damn it. That was me. That got me there. You got to learn to accept those things and be able to work through it. I can't sit here and just be angry at people and resentful. I'll be drinking again in a week. If I do that. You mentioned the word forgiveness, and that's something I want to pick apart with you a little bit. Cause you said you don't forgive yourself because you see it as an easy way out. Explain that some, get a little more in depth on that. Let's, I want to pick your brain about it a little bit. For the longest time, we know forgiveness is maybe something that comes out of a Bible or something. I don't know. Maybe you learned it in Sunday school or Bible camp. I don't know. I didn't go to any of those. I, I went to Catholic high school. Again, I was going to be the Pope, but. <laughs> Yeah. Jess, it's not that funny. I could have been the Pope. I completely uh-huh. can see that. Absolutely. Thank you. I would have looked good with the hat. The, uh, I was thinking the slippers, but whatever. I don't have yeah, I could carry your style. I, mean, I know. It was on a specialty piece. I was good at holding the hooks. I could have held the shepherd's crook thing that he asked to. I'd have been good at that. It's a good pose. It was a natural fit. So forgiveness is one of those things where you're like, no matter what you do, you can be forgiven. I always used to think to myself, what in the hell? Why are the rules then? You can do whatever you want and just be like, please forgive me, sir. And like, poof, hocus pocus, you're forgiven. Like, you're good. And it was that black and white to me. And I always thought that was just weird. So that was one of those things in childhood that you learn. And I'm like, man, I guess I can go talk to a guy in a box and 
say a couple of Hail Marys and I'm forgiven. Like I can really F up and be forgiven. And it never made sense to me. I, I think I looked at that as an easy way out. Where is the repercussions or where is the, what lessons are learned if there's just this verbal forgiveness? But can you differentiate between this personal forgiveness to, from you to yourself than from some mythical, there's, I'm going to offend people. It's yeah. going to be that mythical Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever you believe in. It's, and it is actual people that can offer you forgiveness as well. And that has happened in, in life where I've had to truly come to an amends with people. And they say, and I truly do forgive you the fact. So that's, that's a whole other realm, but forgiving yourself, very difficult because I just look at that as I'm saying, it screwed that one up, but eh, you're forgiven, move on. You're good. I still, and I guess I start with that because I'm still not hundred percent sure how that's supposed to look or feel or when it's right or when it's not right. You know what I'm saying? Like, when is it okay? And when is it not okay? I had somebody that did tell me, they're like, listen, man, if the big man upstairs is willing to forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? And I'm like, okay, I can get on board with that a little bit, but. And they said, but there's other people that are forgiven. There's people, there's people you care about. There's people that you don't really know. There's people that love you that are willing to forgive you. Why can't you forgive yourself? And I think it's because I'm my own, I'm my hardest critic. I deserve, and there's your Catholic. I deserve to feel some pain for the things that I've done that weren't the best moral light or legal or however you want to put it. You, you got to pay the piper. So, so do you see yourself as still paying a penance? There's days that that you can have, yeah, there's days that I'll have that conversation with myself. I'll say self. I think today was shitty because of the things you've done. And this is just a reminder of you're here where you're at right here, right now, because of things you've done to get here. It's it, that can be a devastating self. Just put that's a bad road to go for anybody. The thing about that is I've got things in place where there's people to call there's things that if you work on your recovery, that like there's a playbook for that to where you're like, okay, hold up a second, man. Stop being so hard on yourself for this one. I guess what I have to learn now is if you keep doing that same thing, forgive yourself, do it again, forgive yourself, do it again. Well, it's meaningless. And you've got problems. And I did that. If you truly are able to forgive yourself for something you've done and then maybe take the steps to finally do something to where you're not hopefully going to repeat that again, well, certainly not on purpose and move on and say you've learned from it, maybe even help somebody else with that lesson. Then I start to see what forgiveness and forgiving yourself is about. So the, it's still hard for me, but it's, I'm getting better at it. So the comment about forgiveness in the first interview was more about the follow through after the action, not just saying, just not lip service to your action. Yep, the fault, the fault to do something about it. And I, and I think that's it. Like I was just saying, I can't just, oh, I forget myself and then go do it again. No, you're just trying to feel better about it and give yourself a, a pass or make up a million reasons and excuses why I, had, I did it again. Because we got this going on. I do think forgiveness is recognizing it and then taking steps to say, listen, if you want to get better from it, you got to forgive yourself. You gotta stop being so hard on yourself. You gotta stop punishing yourself. Just do something about it. And then you and that's forgiveness. But it makes sense. No, that me. makes a lot more sense. And that's why I wanted mm -hmm. to touch on it. Because it, when you first mentioned it, it felt okay, you're never gonna move on from the things that you've done mm -hmm. in the past. And I, and that would be a heavy fucking load to carry. You'll never survive. No, like anybody can. And that's, that was, that just stood out to me. And this, I just wanted yeah. to clarify it just for that. Yeah.
You got a good ear, Stack. Look at you go. I'm learning this thing. I so, forgive you for not being so good. There you go. So now we've talked about religions. Let's talk about the higher power because I know you're doing AA and we talked briefly about a higher power. What do you think, what do you consider a higher power for you? It's changed. It changed from the first day I started with people in recovery to today. And it's nothing that it ever looked like before for me. At first, I started with gratitude. My, my, a, a higher power for me was gratitude. And somebody in, so what the hell? And I said, dude, I'll tell you right now. I said, I will look for something that went good today that I had nothing to do with. And I'm going to hold on to that. And that's my gratitude. And that's like my higher power. That's something that happened that I had no control over that was, and I'm grateful for. And man, I held on to that for a while. And I still do. Gratitude is a huge thing. Gotta have gratitude. It's just, if you don't have gratitude, you're going to, you're going to fill your soul and your heart with other shit that's going to put you down the wrong path. If it's not filled with good stuff, there's only another thing to fill it with. And it's going to just be necrotic, nasty. So gratitude is one, I'll grab at it, man. And every day I'll find one thing or a hundred things, but that was a higher power for me. For a while there, it was some of the people I was around, like the fellowship of folks that are in recovery with you. And you look at that and go, man, to have these people in my life right now, that's what I'm holding on to. And then for me, it's turned into, there's just something bigger than me out there. I don't really truly define it. I don't, I may call him God, but I still, it's nothing that I have in the sense of what I learned growing up in, in a Bible and stuff. I just know there's something bigger than me. And that helps me to think that I'm not really calling the shots here. And I'm willing to give that a chance to say, okay, I'll, whatever it is, you're the one writing this book, man. I'm just a character in your chapter. That's a really healthy way for me to be able to let go of some things and not try to control everything. So yeah, it changes and that's okay. That's the nice thing about it. For me, it's, it's been said, it's of your own understanding because if you come to me and say, the only way you're going to get healthy is 10 Hail Marys, two hour five, whatever it is, I can't, no, man, I can't be put into a certain thing like that. And gosh, there's some people, a higher power for them is a tree, whatever, man. You grab onto something that you truly can believe has, there's more to it than just you and run with it. And but for me, gratitude was really the first thing that I started to grab onto. That was a lifesaver to, to keep moving on. So another heavy hitting subject, talk about your mom's home. I know that the time frame is you were already terminated from the department when she passed away, correct? Correct. And you stated that visits were limited due to COVID, or at least that's what you told yourself. And that's what you said in the interview, but you mentioned the guilt with associated with it. Was there other reasons for avoiding her? Oh, no, my mom, I'd hang out with my mom any day of the week. Okay. So you just had to go from the, not being able to get up there with COVID. And yeah, man. Yep. Just not getting back there enough. And then somebody told me, they said, you could have spent six days a week with her and you would have felt bad you didn't spend seven. And there's right. truth to that. I always answered a call. She always answered mine. It was never anything like that to where you just always, somebody you care and love, you're always going to feel like you should have tried to do more, should have done more, should have been there more. Yes. I think that's very normal for people. I have a really close friend that the same time frame. And it was somebody else very close to his mom that gosh, she was living with him and he was taking care of her. You can't get any closer every day to take care of her. And still, there was still that sense of that. I just didn't do enough because she ended up passing as well. And we've had those conversations. So I, I think no matter what, and I think that's just human, you're going to feel that. And I think that's just normal. Now, again, if you really did some stuff to agree, just purposely avoided something, and I'm sure there was even a heavier guilt and so on and so forth, but it was just the circumstances of what was going on at the time. Nobody anticipated we were making plans. So like, all right, I'm good. I'll be seeing you then. Yeah, I know it's been a while. It's just the way it worked out. But conversely, I bet if I would have been spending seven, six days a week with her, I would have been mad that I skipped one dinner 
and didn't get to see her on the seventh day. You know what I'm saying? It would, it still would have been there because we were close and that's, you know, what she meant to me. So that was going to be there. I think no matter what the circumstances were. The other thing you talked about is some of the online recovery connections that you made, uh, because it was COVID and you were doing some of that recovery online. Explain that a little bit. What did it all entail yeah, and what can you offer people from that? Yeah. Don't be afraid of it. And I just, today there's a guy, brother, he's on from up in Canada and he said, so many guys are thankful. So the IFF came out, I think it was that in that March or April or the online recovery meetings. And at that time it was Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, because a lot of people couldn't go to their typical in-person meetings and recovery groups and all that stuff. Everything shut down and they're like, this ain't good. So they recognized that and thought, shit, let's try the Zoom thing. And it was open up to anybody that's in smart recovery, right? medical, whatever it could be, any, all that stuff. Anything you're in, and before you know it, man, we're sitting on here and it's three days a week and you got, we're on Zoom calls with guys from all over the place. And it was cool because it was all firemen. It was all people you trust just because you are one. And whatever program you were in, you were used to doing this in person. So to do it online was weird because, you know, the tech technical stuff of it. But then he really started to find the value of it because it was really cool to connect with people from all over and another fireman. And you were always comfortable because there are certain things you'll say in front of fellow first responders than you would maybe just gen pop out there, right? This is what it's called gen pop. So I, they still go on. We do Sundays as usually speaker meeting, Friday you know, after, in the afternoon. A lot of these guys have been on there. And that's how I started my sobriety was on that. And then those guys are like, yeah, dude, wait till you can do in-person meetings. There's so much value. And I did. And we've done parking lot meetings and everything else, kind of the normal stuff. But to this day, still on here two and a half years later with a lot of guys and new guys coming on by the week. Some people, uh, there's some guys that jumped on. I know them. And I'm like, holy shit. Hey, buddy. It's, oh my God, here we are 12 hours away. And what are the chances? It's been invaluable. It's been fantastic because those are relationships. So you would have never found that probably any other way. So it's a silver lining of kind of whole COVID period and it sure makes it nice when you just, I've done it on vacation. I've gone up to the hotel room when I'm out of town doing something to have lunch and jump on a meeting when I maybe have just avoided going to one because I'm in the middle of doing something. So I tell you, there's a lot of times, even if I'm driving, guys will be on driving, the video's off, just shit, caught a meeting while I was driving. It's invaluable. It's been great. So those are the guys that told me I was had, a, had an issue with drinking and it's time to do something about it. And I trusted them because they were firemen. I already trusted them. So for me, again, timing worked out. Just it's all about timing sometimes. So what's, it's, I, what are you doing today? What's, what's your mix today of online versus person? Uh, I always sit those up. It's twice a week. Now we've cut it back to twice a week, Wednesday nights. Canada's got one, but anyways, I try to hit that one. Sometimes they do their from their union hall, but the IFF one is Fridays, Sundays. I hit them pretty frequently and then I'm out doing a couple of in-person meetings throughout the week. Just depends what's going on. I like tonight I'll be at one and that's my go-to, like my home group. So it's just, I still hit those guys because these are guys now that we're friends. Some of these guys, and then new guys, there's a guy on there too, it's his first time jumping on. And for some people, it eases you in a little bit because you can chill out or hide or just jump off if you want to not feel awkward. And so many of them, just the way I did start talking and I was low this meeting, think it got me. And then now they feel comfortable with me going to do something in person or what have you. So it's a great eases you in. And yeah, I'm, so I'm in a mix. I still do a couple of those in a week still, because it just, just works out great. And now it's friends or even new friends that you meet. So I always recommend that. It's a great thing if that's something that you're doing in life. So I know you said you had some things written down from earlier. Anything that you wanted to 
ask or, or to say for yourself or from your yeah a little bit i do we will end with a trivia question but we'll do that <laughs> will we okay i meant yeah i meant to start with that so just better be boning up on her uh, her jeopardy over there can i get a the club other, first no but you're a medic so you're way smarter than i am so you should be able to just go no problem at all that's why you're the brains of the operation she's got a medic key I will say I'll always make fun of medics. This is what I do because <laughs> you wanted to be one. The, uh, I think a couple of other things I had is we talked about the patients and in, in, in anybody trying to, that's going through some form of recovery, whatever it may be, again, counseling, actual therapy, inpatient, outpatient, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And we did talk about that. It's not immediate. And I think that is important for people to recognize because you just, you don't want to leave until you really give it a chance for things to happen. And you just have to be realistic. It took you a long time to get here. You're not going to unwind it overnight. And, and I don't want to belabor that, but I do think that's worth another thing that I had written down was, is have a go-to person. And this is different than like, you've got your boy, you got your girls when your significant others piss you off. And these are the girls you call and they're going to take your side every single time. You can be wrong and they're going, I just, just watching some trash TV about that. <sighs> Nick Lachey hosted it. It's, it's oh yeah. You're really watching some trash TV. <laughs> Listen, man, it's not my choice. It's called the ultimatum. And they went to this thing and my ultimatum was if you marry me and then they switch people. Any, I digress. It's terrible. But you can sit down with your girlfriends and bash the guy with, and they're going to have your side, even if you're wrong. And the guys we have that, we can do some dumb stuff and you call your boy because you, A, they're going to go do dumb stuff with you. Even when maybe other people be like, no, you always get that guy. You know who to call. Or they're going to be like, dude, that's messed up, man. You shouldn't have gotten in trouble for that. It's not that kind of person. You need to have a person when you're going through stuff. You can give them whatever name you want that it's going to be somewhat just tough love no matter what. So for me, one, I have a couple of those people in my life. One of them, we've gone through so much stuff together that we run therapy for each other. And for as much as we're going to be boys, we're pretty good about, here's the truth of it, man. I don't agree with you and you need to do something. And I've got two, maybe three guys. One of them's really black and white like that. I've got my sponsor. It's not a lifelong friend. His job isn't to be nice to me. If I call him, his job's to assure that don't drink today. What I mean by that is, is that's the person I know. And if I look at something, I go, oh my God, like I see somebody walk by at the tall boy and it's sweating and it's hot outside. And I just have this feeling of, I want one. If you can't get past that, that's my phone call. And that's, and if I go to them and say, man, and I have the woe is me's for the day. And I'm like, man, blah, blah, blah. I know I'm not going to get much sympathy because that's really not what I need from that person. You got to have that person. And it may even be just as much as that's your therapist is that, but you very often can't just have a phone call to them 24 seven. Maybe you can, it's so great. Maybe it is one of those friends of yours that you're able to have these conversations with. I've got some close friends that we're best friends that we just don't have these conversations because it's just not the world and maybe it's even weird. I don't know. I have one or two that I know we can have the conversation and for a minute, they're going to step out of the friend box and say, hold up, Jack, dude, you're no, dude, I don't feel bad for you. You're an idiot. Move on, do this, do that call sponsor and they say, yeah, no, I don't really don't feel bad for you. Don't drink and do this. And then we'll meet up tomorrow or we'll meet up right now. I'll come over. It's important to have that person, whether it is drugs, alcohol, or if it's that I'm starting to just have a bad day. I'm starting to get angry. Anger always lead us down the wrong path. Every time I'm starting to feel resentful. I'm just, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I'm starting to feel pretty freaking sad today. Gotta have that person. 
but guy, you got to have one or two, something in the corner, not to call and just wallow in it with you and be like, I know it was really rough at work. Oh my, we should have more wine because you see a lot at work. I get it. And we all have those friends and we do need those friends because it's just, it's nice to sit with people that just agree with you and just, sometimes you just want to have a shit day. Okay. But you got to have the person that's going to do the opposite of that. And sometimes it's not always pretty in it. And, but you got to have that. And I've really come to rely on that and learn that of that can be the best thing for you at times is you make that phone call and you're not going to hear what you want to hear, but you what you need to hear. That's invaluable and find that, figure that out, find that person. Everybody has my phone number. I don't care if I got to be that person for 10 minutes of a phone call for you. And you never hear from me again. You, you got to look for that. And I said, whether it's a professional therapist and that's a good one to have, maybe you find your buddy. I think guys that come out of center of excellence have really learned that. And when they talk about that, right now they've got this text chain of guys that they just formed a bond with that they know any day of the week, that's a good phone call for them to make. So I think that's important to have. That's, a, that's something I've come to realize. Definitely a little piece of advice I give to folks that are trying to, that are going through stuff and trying to get better. You gotta have that person. Yeah. I'd venture enough to say that a true friend isn't going to lie to you or, or sugarcoat it anyway. So if, yeah, I mean, it's like fiction versus nonfiction, I guess. Everybody loves a little fiction in their life, but that nonfiction is necessary. But they may be that really good friend in your life that they may not BS you, but they may not get it either, or you've never really had these conversations with them because maybe that's just not their wheelhouse or they're just, oh, yeah, I don't know. They may be the person that's just, yeah, I don't get depression. It doesn't make sense to me, so I really don't have to tell you. And that's okay. I've got a best friend. We don't discuss that stuff ever. You know what I'm saying? And it's different than the best friend telling you, no, you do look fat today there stack, maybe more vertical lines, less horizontal. Yeah. Hopefully your best friend's going to tell you that. Way to target my insecurities. God damn. Yeah. The middle man going right to the inner tube. You're smoking. <laughs> you're in better shape than most people ever knew, at least physically. But you, but you gotta have that person may not even be the best friend, but it's that person that you're gonna have a conversation with. That's going to be open, honest, and tell you what you need to, to hear in that moment. Not what you want to hear. Yeah. You definitely need that. I right. definitely agree with that. And I'll wrap it all up with a little bit of, it's a little bit at a time. For me, and again, a guy I was talking to earlier today, man, was he's really struggling with the drinking part of it because he's going through the therapy part of it right now and inpatient stuff and phone calls and all this stuff. And it's really frustrated and overwhelmed. I said, hold up, dude. I said, I went through therapy for some specific stuff for a while. And the one thing I wasn't truthful about was my drinking. And I held that back. And uh, so I didn't address it yet. And that came after working on other stuff just because I had to. But my point is, if there's a lot, going on man it's like a debt snowball don't think you're getting it all paid off in one night don't you're going to get overwhelmed if you're like oh my god i've got pts i've got super bad anxiety right now i'm feeling really depressed i need to quit drinking because i'm a raging alcoholic if you think you're going to get all that wrapped up in one ball good luck yeah chip away at it no yeah, that's fine find that therapist who's going to tell you oh by the way we haven't even touched x y and z so don't get cocky a hundred percent. And it's going to take a few different modalities to get you there. It's not, a, you're not going to go to one thing and get it all done. There's, there's, it, it takes multiple moving parts on the fire ground or in the back of a medic unit to get things accomplished. It's never going to happen with just you. There's very few, and there's very few things in life that's like that. There's very few teams. There's very few sports that even if you're out there by yourself, you still got a cut man in your quarter when you're in the octagon fighting, even though it's just you out there fighting. You're not successful because you're out there alone. You got your cut man in the corner, a coach telling you this guy is going to keep coming up high on the left side, start covering. 
fireground, we throw the world at it for a reason. You can't get it done with just one person. In fact, you can't get it done with just one or two people on the back of a medic unit. Same thing. You, you need a couple set of hands to get anything accomplished. And that's the only way we're successful at that stuff. We really do fail when ego gets in the way and we start trying to do too much on our own and the team loses sight of, man, we're going to win together, lose together. Anything in this world of recovery is the same way. If you think that you've got the answer and the magic and the golden ticket on how I'm going to fix this, you're sadly, and I say sadly because it may not end well mistaking yourself. You got to put a team in your corner. And that may be, I talk to this person for this thing. And I go to these meetings for that thing. And I've got my other person I call for this. And you know what? I'm relying on friends now to help me with taking my kids to soccer one day a week so that I can then go to this. I can do this for myself. That's huge, man. Don't think you're going to say that I don't want to inconvenience people or I've got this. I'm a pretty smart guy. I read a book. I'm a medic. I went to college. Whatever it is, if you think you're going to be able to do any or all of it by yourself, that's, that can be a fatal in many ways, whether your relationship blows up or you end up dying way too early in life. That can be a, a fatal way of looking at things, especially us in this line of work, man. It's a group effort. So is getting better. And that's just sometimes a hard thing to do because you've got to put some ego and some pride down. But I tell you what, when you get tired enough and desperation meets necessity, open yourself up to it. Just open your ears, shut your mouth a little bit and truly open yourself up to it. And you'll find some success and being okay with letting some people in to give you a hand on this, because I tell you, the other side is much better than if you don't. So just a side note that when you said that. It takes a team in the back of a medic unit. The medic in the room disagreed with you. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you. 100%. And I knew she would. I knew she would. I have nothing to offer them in the back of that unit. Uh, I definitely, <laughs> I don't even get in the back of the goddamn unit. So and we always appreciated you, truck guys. Hey, I was there to carry stuff. They, we can lift stuff really well. Lift it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even that I stopped doing. Oh, that's too heavy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that discretion is a better part of valor on that one. What did you find a little more difficult? Was it the... All right, so let's put her on the spot. You got anything for Jess? So Jess, coming into the known, and people will still call it the male dominant force of the fire service to where there's this stigma of you're going to have to prove yourself just a little bit more than everybody else. And because I have to, and that's what I'm told and all this other stuff. And was that... Did that play at all into the, it's time for me to figure out some recovery and be vulnerable because vulnerability is tough and put yourself out there because you're afraid of how it's going to look to those at work. So you've already had to fight your way in and get through an academy and improve yourself as very often a lot of females feel it's what happens in this line of work. Was that ever a hang up for you to say, I got to be vulnerable and do some things and get some help because you're afraid it's going to unwind all that you did to get to that point? I think it came down to a, I knew it was either going to be one or the other. I was going to have to lose everything because of the way I was spiraling or I was going to have to step up and get help. Being a young mom, a teen mom, I always felt like I had to prove myself and be like, no, nah, I'm not going to be like that person. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. So coming into the fire service, it was the same thing. I came in there like the whole time through recruit school was, you're going to fail when you fail. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to fail. I don't think you know me. Yeah. I don't really fail it very much. And when I do, I pick myself back up and go at it again, figure out where I messed up. So I think when I saw myself failing 
and knew that time I couldn't handle it on my own. It was like a, and I've had so many people reach out actually since after doing the podcast and talking about everything that I went through that are like, I had no idea you went through this. That was the point. So it is. I, I didn't and now open up to go through that. Few people knew. Few people knew what I was going through and what I was struggling with and things. But those were the ones that I knew wouldn't talk and that I could rely on because kind mm -hmm. of tell a fireman, you tell the world kind of thing. So I agree. And it's and that's just because, and kudos to you, it was a good one. I, when I listened to yours, I thought, and I had known you outside of work a little bit just by nature, some people we knew and stuff. Yeah. And those are things, struggles that we would never have known about each other. But I often wondered that. I thought, man, this can be being vulnerable is, can be very difficult. And especially in that line of work. And especially if you are already not tar it's a terrible word to say targeted, but already, if you're thinking, man, I'm already some, it is right. And, and it that's, is. And that's, that's a tough thing to be able to step out. So kudos to you for being able to do that and then share it because if it, one person will hear the story and if it's a dude or a girl, it doesn't matter who, and they're going to say, all right, this is okay. She's on the other side of this. And that's the purpose of all this, right? Is somebody's asking me today, they're like, see, do you guys just go on this podcast and share stuff? I said, you share as much or as little as you want. I said, but I said, the way we get back is by giving it away. And you've got to share this stuff because somebody somewhere is going to connect to it. And hopefully they can make a change in their life that's positive. And it's a ripple effect. And it's the, it's the, it's the scatter birdshot approach. I'll send 30 babies out there and hope one hits. Yeah, it's dating when you're drunk in a bar, man. I'm going to throw it out there 20 times. Somebody's got to say, yeah. <laughs> Hope you stay with it enough to wake up and be like, oh, okay, it was a good shot. <laughs> I landed. Yes. So, no, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, and that's definitely one of those things that, to hear you say that, it, it sounds like the same thing happened with you is you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's desperation meets necessity and it's time to do something about it. And let's go find a team of people and do this. But you have to be open and willing. And that's the biggest part of it. Good. I'm glad you're doing good. Yeah. And it's been nice even doing the podcast and talking to people. It's opened up a bigger door, I think, to bring attention to the diversity in the fire service and the women and the just other cultures and everything that we need to welcome into the fire service and stop making it such a hurdle for them just to be accepted. So to well, be a little more genuine. It, I agree. And it's and what's good is we do have a lot of resources now in the fire service and even if it starts to knock down some of that stigma it all my trauma had to happen in one place in the fire service for me to get help it's not true for bringing baggage into this thing man it's just gonna it's gonna get worse we already talked about that's gonna get so you're right and it brings to light that just because it all didn't happen here it's gonna show itself here at some point because i keep piling it on and i think that's good that he's bringing up so kudos to you guys and because i know you're working with stack on this stuff and i Man, your work will go unnoticed. That's for sure. I think it's going to definitely have an impact on folks or at the very least, give them something to talk about in the firehouse. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I've done plenty of that, but I usually try and stay in the background and today he threw me right into the front. So appreciate it. Every, hey man, every good team's got somebody in the back of that medic unit. So there you go. <laughs> Just one of the smartest. All right. So what's this trivia question? Okay. Do we know who the father or who's considered like the podcast king, the father of podcasting. Does anybody know his name? Yes. It's MTV. Yeah, he was a VJ for yes. MTV. Adam, what's his name? Adam Curry. Yeah, Adam Curry. Okay, so here's my other, here's, and Jess should know this then. Do we know how the term and where the term podcast came from? I've heard the story. Stacker? I can't remember it. Really? Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. Can I tell it then? Of course you can tell so it. Not my, not my story to tell. All right. So five chests real quick was Adam Curie was like a genius with technology. Yeah. He was making yeah transistor FM radios at 10 years old. So by the time he's older and doing all this other stuff and internet pages, and he's got a guy who's really good at coding and all this other stuff. He was always like, man, it'd be cool to have a way. I want to be able to broadcast on FM radio. And he always thought that was fascinating. And then when the iPod came out, that little iPod came out, he thought, man, it's crazy. You hook up your computer and things download to it. And then you get music the next day. And he was the one that thought, what if there's a way to load up on that thing? Not just music, but a broadcast of something. Like I want to broadcast my show, but how does it show up? It's not live on FM radio. How does it show up on this thing? And he had his buddy that helped figure out algorithm things and got it all figured out to where Adam had recorded this series, a broadcast, what normally would have been done on radio. And it synced up, you plug your iPod into it. And then overnight, it all downloaded. So when you woke up, they just weren't individual songs. It was on there as what was, it was a broadcast, which then became known as broadcast on your iPod, then became what we know as a podcast. And now every platform calls it a podcast, even if it's not on Apple. That's it. And there's no, and there no iPods left. They don't make them anymore. But it was from him figuring out how to broadcast a big show that was recorded, downloaded, synced up to your iPod overnight. And then that just became at some point known as a podcast. And so Adam Curry will be remembered for something other than that hair of his. Being a VJ. Yeah. And other stuff. He's actually got, he's got a great podcast that he does too and stuff. He's. That's pretty fascinating, actually. But anyways, okay. so that was that was my excitement. It wasn't even really good, tri good trivia, but it was just, uh, I felt really cool for knowing that. And since this is a podcast, I thought it was very germane to the conversation. We had to get that knowledge out somewhere. So perfect spot. Yeah. I had to stroke my ego for the day. Didn't, it didn't help that his name was Adam too, right? Yeah, I can relate to the guy. He's pure genius. And I get that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll leave it at that. So you coming into town for Labor Day, you said? Yeah, I'll be in Labor Day weekends. I know you're busy, but if you have a few minutes, let me know. Yeah, I'd love to. I'll be in Fredericksburg and I tended, since I hate driving in Northern Virginia. Does I'll it everybody? I know, I know. I'll be at Carolina's house, probably just floating in the pool half the time with a cigar. But uh, yeah, I'll just let you know, I'll be around. I don't know. Are you in Gainesville these days? Or Yeah, in Bristol, but I'm making my way around anywhere, so. Yeah, no, it had to be good if I, even if I'm thinking I'm going to do a lunch somewhere and try to grab a couple people or meet up, I always just try to. I can't drive around all over the place. It just gets. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. I'll pick a time and a place and I'll at least let you know. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks yeah. for doing this. Thank you. I got to get you out of here because we're past the time you said you had to go. So that's okay. It would have worked out well if you were on time. Yeah. If I was on time, but again, wasn't able to start because somebody else wasn't ready. So we're good. Our best lead plans, man. We're not in charge. All right, so, man. That's just, it was good hearing you. It's good to talk to you. It was good to talk to you. Yeah, you guys take care. I look forward to these coming out. I'll sound like an idiot on them, but nonetheless. No, no more than I sound like an idiot every time I put one out, so don't worry about it. Yeah, perfect. I've got that to live up to. So. There you go. All right, man. All right, I'll talk to you guys. What's up? Take, take care. Hi, Robin. See you, Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.